Well, it is good to be back chatting with you again here on Seattle Hawk Talk. This is Seattle Hawk Talk and another Extra Point podcast. We, uh, at the end of the season, pretty well uh, took the off-season off along with a lot of the players as well. So, Rob 50, Bo 50, just hanging out. But, you know, at this point, I guess the, the, the bottom line, bud, is um, we have heard so much crap from so many people about what's going on with the Hawks that it was like, all right, we can't stand it anymore. We got to sit down and chat with our folks. So you and I have talked a ton about Moneyball, uh, but boy, you know when you when you go into the off season and you start to look at who's available, and then you begin to listen to all the yattering, yattering, yattering about what's going on with you know who we should get rid of, who we should pick up, who we should extend. It pretty much boils down to Moneyball, and we have a lot of guys that needed to get paid going into this next year and some of those contracts that are not due to be extended until the end of this upcoming season. But a lot of conversation going on out there and I'm talking about Frank Clark and of course we're always going to have to talk about Russell Wilson. Yeah, so one of the things that I wanted to say was I wasn't ready to talk about anything because I was kind of in a sense of mourning. (laughs) I'm still a little pissed off over the Dallas loss. I don't think that was a team that we should have lost to, and I just wasn't ready to talk about it yet. (laughs) Yeah, right. Curled up in a corner just, you know, in mourning for a while. That was a team we shouldn't have lost to. That's what was disappointing. The other thing was that the catalyst for this whole show has always been the dumbass stuff that people are saying out there. And right. In the off season, it just seems to proliferate to this horrible level <laughs> of just ineptness that apparently people just want to, you know, these prognosticators or the, you know, reporters, they just, I don't, it seems like no one's actually really paying attention to what's going on in Seattle, like in the details. You know, we were talking the other day about, you know, it's almost as if they just, you know, have these fantasies and talk about their fantasies. Like, hey, wouldn't it be awesome if AB went to Seattle? Oh, my God. Well, yeah, wouldn't it be awesome if unicorns, you know, occupied space in my backyard? But that's just not going to happen. <laughs> First of all, we don't need an AB. And, you know, I mean, all these things. Anyway, you know, you, you get into the, these offseason moves with, like, Frank Clark and, you know, gigs. Awesome news, and I, you and I are both ecstatic about it because we're we have and always will be uh, KJ Wright fans. KJ coming back to Seattle on a two-year, fifteen million dollars deal—that's a screaming deal in my mind uh, for such a high-level linebacker. I mean, he's yeah. an All-Pro linebacker in the NFL. You're going to sit him and Bobby together, and that's the deal, isn't it? He was banged up last year, got into three games. Understandably, uh, he you know he just wasn't his same old self. I mean, all the instincts are there, making the moves. I got a picture in my mind, a little uh, video reel rolling right now of him uh, making a break out to the outside on the left side and watching that and thinking, oh, well, he's lost a step. But yeah, you know, he's not really lost a step in the typical sense of the word. It was cut the guy a little bit of slack. You know, he's been he's been injured. He hasn't been up to game time speed for quite a while. What that tells me is the front office and the coaching staff uh, are real confident about his recovery from those injuries and pretty willing to you know, give him a $15 million, so about $7.5 million a year for the next couple of years. In that tandem, uh, probably the, the, the best linebacker tandem in the NFL. No, hands down. I, I, you know, I'm obviously a Seattle fan through and through, always have been, always will be. Um, so, uh, slanted in my opinion for sure, but yes, one of the best in the NFL, uh, 
they're just they work very very well together. It was amazing to see them work well towards the end of the season when KJ was able to come back and you know right. watch Bobby even you know kind of settle in, knowing that he had a guy right next to him who had you know has his back and right. was able to transition when help out with the calls and all and all that stuff that goes into being a, you know a backer. And when that stuff kind of happens, you can see. You know, you saw Bobby even in his play elevate because he wasn't thinking so much. He wasn't making well, yeah, you know, and, the, and the, in the right place. Right, yeah, you know, the other part of it is, is that when he's in there with somebody who is not KJ Wright, he's been spending, uh, to, to your point, he's been spending a little bit more of his attention and focus on trying to coach up somebody who is, uh, you know, either in their uh, sophomore or junior year in the NFL, you know, and. And uh, new to our system, I'm talking about Calitro. Hey, I, I love Calitro. Got a great motor and everything. But, yeah, you know, so at that point, Bobby is is paying attention to that. And when KJ's in there, he doesn't have to think about that. Now he can just be Bobby. So, yeah, very good thing. Uh, Michael Kendricks, very pleased to see that they've uh, – how do we characterize that? <laughs> Pin down his services. Yeah, I, I really like the move. You know, I mean, I don't think he's going to see jail time, which means I believe that he's going to be on the field next year. And we've kind of, you know, locked it in to if he does see the field, it's going to be on our team. And now you have three great linebackers. And, you know, um, unfortunately, it kind of makes uh, Mingo the odd man out. Um, and that's unfortunate for a few different reasons. I don't necessarily think that Mingo was actually given the opportunity to do what we wanted him to do uh, 100% of the time, which was just kind of stick his hand in the dirt and you know rush the quarterback. Well, would have liked to see that a little bit more. But that kind of goes to the conversation that we've had before about taking the names off of these positions and just putting somebody in a, in a place where we need them and their skill set at that particular point. I wouldn't be opposed to having Mingo go through camp but maybe just sort of hybridizing what it is that we expect out of him, to your point about putting his hand in the dirt? Yeah, you know, he rushes the quarterback really well, but, you know, his coverage is, yeah. Well, and so don't ask him to do it. Right, that's 100% it, you know. And the, the, only, <laughs> the only problem is that Michael Kendricks is an animal. I mean, when he rushes the quarterback or is in coverage, the guy's a manimal, you know. He's just super aggressive and, you know, love watching him play. So, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what we end up doing with all of the parts and pieces. Continuing to the point, you know, I really love our linebacking core. And by bringing KJ back, I think we're, you know, probably going to have to bring in some young talent. And, you know, to the conversation that you and I have been having for over a year now, when is it going to be the opportunity to move you know, <laughs> back into the back, uh, back into the defense? Okay, I, well, hold on. We got to get everybody up to speed on that. And that is, is that to this point about putting people into places where the, we really take advantage of their skill set. And that is, we think that Shaquem Griffin is not necessarily a linebacker. I know that's the label you put on him, you know, and that's where he played in college, blah, blah, blah. But you know what? At 4-3 and change speed, the guy is really more like a strong safety. I mean, he's, he's kind of your, your BAM chancellor, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, some people argue the 4-3, right? Like, and okay, fine, argue the 4-3, but... Watch the tape, man. Watch the tape as he's playing special teams. First one or two guys down on every coverage that you ever have. The guy is fast. He's super fast. 
and at 225, 230, 100 pounds, you know. It- Make your point about him being up closer to the line and having to contend with some tackle, you know, who goes 320 and he's 6'7". That's just not the place for him, yeah, right? Yeah, well, yeah, and it gives him the opportunity to read the play and, you know, do more with that speed. It gets what it does is it does the thing that we all you always want as probably as a coach, which is it highlights all of the strengths and minimizes the weaknesses. It gets him out of that, you know, kind of the in in the box, right up on, you know, the play kind of mentality where he's gonna have to deal with a three hundred and twenty pound tackle on, you know, most occasions, if not a center or a pulling guard. And it allows him to step back a couple more yards, even though we used to bring Cam up into the box on a fairly regular basis. You know, he was still playing five, seven yards off the ball, which is exactly where we would like him, uh, you know, Shaquem Griffin to be playing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's uh, let's change gears here because, you know, we started out this podcast by talking about the fact that we we're you know, watching a lot of dumb crap come from a lot, of, a lot of these writers all over the country who really don't appear to be paying much attention to what's going on in Seattle and saying, oh, I need some more interior defensive linemen. No, we don't. Crying out oh, like, my God. That I mean, how stupid is that? Receiver. Yeah, uh, yeah, another stupid one. But but one of the things I think is important for us to talk about right now uh, to kind of put it into perspective in people's minds is that there, there are a lot of moves that are going to be taking place right now. And if you're wringing your hands and twisting your fingers and walking in place, you know, and going, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no, because we only have four picks in the upcoming draft, uh, do a little history lesson there for yourself and look back and see what has happened to drafts in the past. And this Seahawk front office knows how to get draft picks, okay? And we might end up with, you know, at least seven and maybe more, you know, before it's all over. So just uh, just get your panties out of a wad, all right? That's, it's, it's not going to happen that way. But I think putting it into perspective, a little reality check here for folks is, is that we're dealing with we're dealing with a salary cap, okay? And everybody's dealing with a salary cap. So all of you little whiners who are going, oh, we got to pay Russell Wilson a gazillion dollars. No, we don't. The whole um, circus with Earl was all about the fact that he was one of the top three, if not top two paid safeties in the entire NFL, uh, whining about his paycheck. And, you know, at, at some point doing deals like Khalil Mack in Chicago for, you know, over a hundred million dollars, I can't even remember, it was 150 million or whatever the stupid figure was. It's like, are you serious? I mean, look at New England. Why does New England continually go to the playoffs? And why in the last, what, 10 or 12 years or whatever it is, do they have how many Super Bowl rings they have? And that's because they're not paying people a gazillion freaking dollars. They're dealing with the salary cap. And, you know, as much as I'd like to, you know, give Frank Clark as much money as he wants, you still have Bobby Wagner. That There's you, a limit. You still haven't dealt with Bobby Wagner yet. And what are you going to say, Bobby? Well, I'm sorry, you know, we gave all the money to Frank and we gave all the rest of the money to Russell. And so, gee, Bobby, no, I haven't any left for you. Yeah, right. And you're sitting there whining about Russell Wilson and why we should just write him a blank check? That's the one that really burns me. And the way that Seattle is setting it up, if you're just if you're looking at the the parts and pieces that are moving on the board right now, the gigantic contract that everybody's expecting for Russell is not coming. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you, people. Like 
Seattle's not going to write a blank check to this guy. That one the right? other day about Nick Foles, they're saying, oh, you know, Nick Foles, you know, uh, does this four-year deal for $55 million or whatever the heck it was, and, uh, and, and, and that is going to have a big impact on Russell's contract. No, it's not. Now, John and Pete have a number that they've already predetermined that they're willing to pay Russell uh, for his services. And we haven't even begun to talk about the the fact that, you know, in our opinion, or my opinion, that Russell's attention is divided lately. The guy is, he's lost a step, you know, which was a part of his game. And you're not going to be able to do that cute little roll out of the pocket backwards you know, roll maneuver anymore because, you know, you have lost a step and everybody's on to that move, which means that, you know, they, they fake one inside and then they know you're going to roll out of it backwards out of the pocket. And then they're just waiting for you when you come out of your roll. And, you know, when you got guys that are as fast as Khalil Mack or, you know, I mean, Montez Sweat coming out of this draft, you know, draft class. I mean, when the guy ran like a or something. I mean, crying out loud. <laughs> yeah, Russell, right. you didn't even do that. Like, <laughs> you're gonna run away from that? Good luck. And the deal is, is that he wasn't the only defensive edge rusher in this draft class that ran a four four. He wasn't the only one. So Khalil Mack's already here, but well, you got a whole bunch of young guys coming up that are edge rushers that are running like about three or four tenths faster than you are. Yeah, and with your cute little divided attention that's, you know, half of it's in New York and half of it's in on the West Coast and building your brand with your wife, which is great, man. You do you. Like, I'm not saying that you're doing anything wrong. And, you know, you keep doing you. But when your paycheck is the NFL and you're not performing on the field as well as we need you to, that's a problem. Well, and 30 million bucks, you know, I mean, if, if you come looking for 30 million bucks, uh, bottom line here is two things. First of all, recent performance, and I don't care what these stats say. Oh, yeah, stats, you know, I look at the stats and say, yeah, the best year of his life. Yeah. Well, first of all, they scaled it back and they, they were trying to keep him on script a whole lot more. And one of the ways they did that was by running the ball more. So that was helpful, not only for his stats, but for the team as a whole. But, but, but again, the bottom line is if you pay him $30 million a year, you basically are gutting the rest of the team. That continues to be our point. It has been our point for a year. And if you go and pay Russell the the money that he's going to come looking for and the money that his agent seems to think he's going to get, say goodbye to any playoff run because that's going to gut the team. I don't know how else to frame that. You know how Tom Brady continued to win Super Bowls? He renegotiates his contract on a fairly regular basis and makes it team-friendly so he can be competitive, so they can put a team around him. They can put, you know, I don't know, a tackle or a guard in front of him that's, you know, halfway decent so he's not running his ass off or getting pounded every game. You know, that's how he's done it. I mean, look at Tom Brady. People are calling him the greatest of all time, right? The GOAT, you know, but he's not getting paid Aaron Rodgers' money. So if you want to take some a page out of anybody's playbook, Russell, you know, stop building your brand for a minute and take two seconds and take a page out of the GOAT's playbook. The guy has six rings at the moment. He's coming after a seven. That's the point right there is do you want to build your brand or do you want to win Super Bowl rings? Which is it? And what it seems is, again, to your point, this whole New York thing. You look at New York and, yeah, you know, that might be a great move for him. His wife wants to be there. He's already got a baseball contract there. Great place if you're looking to build your brand if that's what you want to do. And and, and again, you know, um, if you don't want to be in Seattle, fine. Don't be in Seattle. 
but don't hold us up trying to get maximum amount of money and then not performing, you know, to the highest level on the field. That's my bottom line. You just can't hand the entire keys to the kingdom to one guy and expect this team to continue to go forward. Well, listen, uh, we, we've heard a lot of crap from a lot of people about what we need and what we should go after in the draft. What's your take? We watched a Sweezy go get a contract. I'm still a little heartbroken uh, over a couple of guys. but uh, well, you know, Don't forget, yes, yeah, Sweezy walked and he went to Arizona, but we essentially traded guards Arizona, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. We took uh, Mike Lupati, and they took J.R. Sweezy. I don't think this is a bad thing. You know, Lupati has a history with uh, Solari, so that's a good thing. That plays in our favor. And mm, didn't know that. I always liked the toughness of Lupati, Lupati in Arizona. Um, you know, again, we're looking for run blockers and guys that are just going to be maulers. And, you know, Lupati kind of fits that bill. And so I'm not wringing my hands about losing Sweezy because I think we got a good one in Lupati. Yeah. And, you know, if we can do a deal with Fluker and, you know, yeah. maintain the cohesion that we have developed along the line, I think, we're, you know, we're going to be in business. Yeah. Yeah. And go online and download the depth chart. Take a look at that. And some of the young guys that have been kind of bubbling in the background. And a couple of them that have actually been out because they were, not because they weren't good, but because they were injured. And I'm talking about Rasheem Green for one. But when you look at that defensive side and people are talking about, oh, yeah, they need some help on the defensive line. Hold it. Rasheem Green is coming back. Quentin Jefferson, great year last year. Jaron Reed, <laughs> uh, Puna Ford. I mean, there's that one. There's there's also the wide receiver conversation, right? Like. Uh, you've seen that one. Oh, we need to find a wide receiver that's going to stretch the field. Really? No, uh, we just paid that guy last year, uh, Tyler Lockett. You know, <laughs> he had a hell of a season. Like I don't know, and Baldwin's still in there. I, what is it they they are thinking? They just because these guys aren't prototypical. You know, because they're not over six foot tall. I mean, right. <laughs> David Moore, four hundred and what, four hundred and fifty yards or whatever in the third slot last year. That wasn't bad. Yeah. I, I like David Moore. He looks great. Well, right. And we're sitting with two great receivers, two guys that are arguably Pro Bowl talent level receivers in Doug Baldwin and Tyler Lockett. And, you know, you, you're what? You're looking for the third? Well, David Moore fits the bill very well. And, you know, we got a few tight ends there that are, you know, we get Will Disley back this year. Very excited about that. Uh, the wide receiver thing just chaps my ass almost as much as the defensive line thing chaps my ass. A couple of other good things. McKissick is coming back. Mike Davis, unfortunately, gone. We liked Mike, but, you know, it's just kind of cluttered in that uh, running back room. But uh, a guy that I think everybody needs to keep their eye on, and this was one that you brought to my attention, uh, because it kind of happened uh, very quietly, but Bo Scarborough, and, man, he is just a mauler, and he's a big beast of a guy too and uh coach really likes him so I, i'm i'm kind of hoping to see him at the very least you know let's get a look at him in the preseason i'd just love to see Bo scarborough actually finally get a chance and i would like to see cj Procise actually wave goodbye and as i started to say a little bit earlier my heartbreak was justin coleman he's always been a favorite of mine sorry to see him go but good on you bud you get nine million a year for the next three years yeah, you know, I agree with you on all accounts. Uh, watching Justin leave, you know, that one's rough. But, hey, congratulations on a, on a great contract and a great payday. Bo Scarborough was one of my favorites coming out of the draft because he fits kind of our offense and what we our strategy and our what we like to do. 
He's a one-cut downhill runner kind of a guy. And I think, you know, he's kind of like, uh, what's his name in Tennessee there, in that, you know, his speed is deceiving because he's such a tall guy. He doesn't look like he's moving that fast. But he's just eating yards up. He doesn't look like he's moving until he hits you. (laughs) Or, you know, he doesn't look like he's moving until, you know, the safety is trying to catch up with him and can't. Right. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I'm pretty excited because Chris Carson, he's fantastic to watch. Uh, We have always loved him. And I'm not talking about, you know, having him dethrone Chris Carson. No, Chris Carson has absolutely balls out, sacrifices his body. You know, just, I mean, the guy runs bigger than he is. Bo Scarborough is a big dude. So, you know, um, you put that into, like, goal line or short yardage situation, you know, it does a couple things. It keeps Chris fresh, you know, so he can, you know, do that stuff that he's so amazing uh, in the open field and in, in the, in, you know, the middle of the field and hopefully prevents a couple of injuries because when you're talking about goal line situations, those that's just, you know, line up your best against our best and we're going to see who's the toughest, you know, mother beeper on the planet. And that's a good way to get your starting running back, uh, yeah. you know, dinged up uh, for any kind of a playoff run. So, I don't know, having Bo Scarborough on the roster makes a lot of sense. Uh, I've always been a fan, so pretty excited for it. And, you know, everybody who listened to the podcast uh, here with Seattle Hawk Talk has heard me rant and rave about last year and how we both love Seabass, you know, really kind of iconic in a lot of ways. Kind of like one of those throwback guys when you you know you look at some of the old NFL films and guys sitting on a bench smoking a cigarette you know that's kind of Sebastian Janikowski he's out there you got a beer in his pocket you know you, but the bottom line is that, you know everybody's heard me rant and rave about the fact that there were actually two what maybe three games last year that we basically lost because of kicking so hey we got a kicker and he's not a new one he's actually a retread for the Seahawks. Yeah, you know, I mean, it was a competition between Jason Myers and Seabass, and Seabass won it last year. Early in the season, Seabass was kicking really right, and, you know, everything was going okay. But the thing about kickers, and it sucks because, you you know, for the kicker, but the point is that when you're a kicker, 85%, you know, field goal attempts, you know, making, it's great. But if you miss the one where it loses the game, not so great. That's yeah, all on you. Uh, right. I'm okay with you missing a few extra, a few more field goals if they're not, you know, game-altering, but when we need you to hit the game-altering ones, and that, unfortunately, was a little bit of a weakness in Janikowski this last year. There were a couple times where he missed stuff that we really, really needed, and hopefully Jason Myers is that clutch guy for us. And, you know, I'm, I'm in. Like, let's pay a guy uh, a, a decent sum of money because it has now altered two or three different seasons for the Seattle Seahawks is, not, you know, the lack of a kicker after letting Hauschka go. Yeah, Jason Myers uh, went to the Pro Bowl last year, so looks like he's uh, fairly solid. Young guy, too. So, you know, maybe a, another year under his belt and certainly a, a Pro Bowl year. Give him that kind of confidence that we need. Well, listen, we're going to break it off for now. We're going to be making some changes here in the off season, so we'll keep you posted and uh, look forward to talking to you again right here on Seattle Hawk Talk and another Seattle Hawk Talk Extra Point Podcast. Check us out at SeattleHawkTalk.com. Go Seahawks!